0: What I'm thinking is we'll have a really bad September, and October, because that's when it always seems to hit the fan, and then we'll have a buildup to that. Uh, I think that uh, um, the bear market rally that we had ended, and we're now in another downturn. We could have another rally after that, but some some point, September, October, it's you know things are really have deteriorated, and you, like you said, you know <laughs> you start to see big job numbers, you know 600, 000 layoffs, and th- those kinds of things. You could start to see that. But it might also, this also could extend even into 2024, potentially. Um, it's so big, um, the excesses that have to be corrected. And um, now it's hard to know for sure, but, I, but uh, I, I'm pretty certain that 2023 is gonna be a bad year.
1: Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder, Adam Taggart. Well, it feels a lot like 2008. When the world was glued to the newsfeed, waiting to hear which entity was the next casualty of the unfolding financial crisis, as well as what new extreme measure world governments would announce in response. In times of heightened anxiety and uncertainty like this, it's wise to tap the perspective of seasoned analysts who have studied and experienced decades of market action. There are patterns to history that, when understood, give us an advantage in assessing the probabilities of what's likely to happen next which is why we're fortunate today to speak with Fred Hickey, editor of the highly respected newsletter, The High Tech Strategist, which Fred has been publishing since 1987. Fred, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Well, Fred, look, I've been looking forward to having you in this program for a long time. Um, we scheduled this discussion, I, I wanna say almost months ago. Um, months. Who knew it was gonna be so crazy <laughs> when yeah. you finally I'm on here. I appreciate you taking the time during what must be a very busy time for you and covering all this action to come on and talk with us.
0: Certainly. Certainly not easy to keep up with everything these days.
1: Yeah, right. Well, gosh, if you're saying that, the rest of us don't have any chance. Um, well, look, um, lots of questions for you. But, but if you don't mind, let me start with my uh, customary one I like to ask everybody at the beginning of these interviews. What's your current assessment of the global economy in financial markets?
0: Uh, well, I I think that uh, as far as the economy goes, um, uh, we're heading towards recession. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, when you have uh, central banks around the world that had lowered rates as far as they had to zero percent uh, in the U.S. and negative in Europe and Japan, and then you had a great spike in a very short period of time, one of the fastest rises ever. Um, not not since the 1980s or 70s, I would think. Um, when you have go from zero to 5% and you've built up all the debt that we have, um, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> and it's going to lead to a recession. Uh, I can't believe people were calling for uh, a soft landing or no landing. And, <laughs> of course, that went by the boards very quickly with the latest banking crisis that we uh, were experiencing currently. Um, so we've been in this process, anyways. Uh, we, in the stock market, we sold off last year hard. Uh, it was one of the worst declines that we've had in uh, in some time, obviously. And then in the bond market, it was the worst uh, market uh, decline ever in history. So the combination was pretty terrible. And uh, but then we had a rally. that bottomed. Uh, the S and P bottomed at twenty seven percent down in October. And then we had a big rally and uh, that rally uh, took us through January and we had the best January in 22 years. That's not unusual. Uh, Back in 2000 um, timeframe, we had we had eight uh, uh, instances where the market went up 15 percent or more. And what those do is those are those trap bulls. uh, They get people all excited. They start thinking there's going to be no landing. The bear market's over. We hear a lot of that from a number of sources. Uh, very recently even they still believe that there would be uh the bear Market was over and we're in a new bull market and that uh we wouldn't have a recession we wouldn't have a, a hard landing so I think we're heading towards a hard landing um obviously the banking crisis has changed changed the thought process now now they're worried about not <laughs> interest rates rising they're worried of, they're thinking the FED will have to uh, cut rates going forward and that's the result of uh of the downturn that's that's in process. When you have a banking crisis like this, you always have tightening of money, and that will also make uh, make it harder for uh, for for uh, for earnings to to hold up. And they're not going to hold up. They were they were in decline already, and uh, they'll continue to do so. I think that in the stock market, we were in. Uh, I agree with what Jeremy Grantham, GMO founder of GMO, and the great historian called the super bubble. And uh, he said that there were four great super bubbles in the last 100 years. Uh, uh, One of them was 1929. One of them was in Japan, 1989. Uh, And then we had our great 2000 bubble that uh, I was uh, deeply involved with because it was tech driven. Uh, And now now this one. And if you look at the valuations, this one uh, relative to the other US bubbles was the greatest ever. So, Um, And and valuations, even though we had that sell-off last year, uh, they've only come down to levels that are now at the peak levels in 2000. So uh, price-to-sales ratio of 2.2 times is exactly the peak level in 2000. Um, Market cap to GDP, 150% today. It was 200%, but 150% today, well, the high, the peak in 2000 was 140%. In 2007-8, in that top, that market top, you were 105%. So you can see how high we got. It was, uh, it was insane. It was a super bubble. And when super bubbles pop, they don't just go down a little bit. Um, you know, we're, we're down on the S&P, and it's up here today. We're down on the S&P only in the teens right now. And um, that's, uh, that's not exactly bear market. Uh, action. Um, super bubbles dropped 50% or more. So in 1929, the Dow went now 90%. Uh, in 1989 in Japan, the, uh, that dropped 80%. Uh, the NASDAQ in the tech bubble in 2000 dropped 83 84%. Uh, we're nowhere near that. Uh, in January, uh, usually there's a ch- change of leadership. We didn't see a change of leadership in January. That, that rebound that we had, a bear market rally... Uh, Brought us back to buying meme stocks and Party City and Ben Bath and beyond and back to buying Tesla again and back to buying Catholic, Kathy, Kathy Ark's, uh ETF and uh you know, options, one day to expiration options. This is not in, in any kind of indication that you hit capitulation. Uh in in, in bear markets, uh you, the last third of all bear of all bear markets are the worst. And that's when there is capitulation. We haven't seen any of that yet. That's ahead of us. And and these so these rallies that we've had here throughout this bear market are normal, um, and they catch people. They destroy the maximum amount of money because they suck people in, and that's what this latest rally did. Uh, and, and so now we're heading down again, I think, uh, in fits and starts. Uh, and then you know these bear markets usually go in two year, two year, at least two years of time. It, that's Take, it takes time for that to suck in the money and make people capitulate. Um, so I don't know how long it'll go, and uh, before we get to capitulation, and the only thing that can stop it is if the Fed comes in and once again intervenes massively, uh, as they've done with other uh, at other periods where we've ha- we've been in trouble, and they come in with money printing.
1: Okay, that was a wonderful answer. I took great notes, and and we'll get to uh, the possibility. Of central bankers trying to intervene here to to you know, maybe stop this carnage that you you say history says should happen. Um, but let, let's let's take our time to get to that because I have a few other questions first. Um, uh, just one question for you uh, from how you sort of described all this is um, it, 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 you know, you sort of started your answer grounded in central bank policy. We had been at ZERP, uh, had a lot of intervention, you know, pretty much from 2009 on. Uh, Until we turned everything off, uh, right at the end of 2021, and and from what you're saying, it sort of sounds akin to like, you know, getting the market accustomed to driving, you know, at 100 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden the Fed suddenly slammed on the brakes. And when you say we're heading to recession, it's kind of like because the whole system, which was accompanied to accustomed to all that stimulus and cheap money, it's now like hitting the windshield, (laughs) right? Is that that a decent analogy?
0: Absolutely, and but you know it's been going on for beyond before two thousand nine. They you know they came
1: in and lowered rates
0: in two thousand to one percent low, and then and then that caused a uh, caused a housing bubble and a global financial prices and they so it's, it's been going on even in the early I mean, late nineteen nineties when they were intervening. To stop Long Term Capital problem, the, the, to even the Mexican crisis that we had, they've been intervening, intervening, and never letting uh, the markets uh, correct. Uh, and and then and then finally, when they got to got uh, high levels of inflation, they had no choice. Slammed on the brakes, and then we've seen the market uh, decline. But every time they tried to back away, uh, they've had a market issue. So it's not just this time. Ah, uh, back in 2009, Bernanke uh, testified in front of Congress in April, I think it was, and he said, "Oh, this is only be a year or so; it's temporary." Well, <laughs> you know, his 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 balance sheet, his QE balance sheet, has gone up by 10 times since then, and it doesn't seem to be any end to it. You know, it just popped up 300 billion this past week on some of the intervention work that they did to uh, some of the advances they made. Now they claim it's going to be temporary; it's only they're only one year, but nothing ever seems to be temporary.
1: N- nothing's as permanent as a temporary government solution. Um, I am uh I'll turn 52 this summer. Uh and uh I've basically been alive. I mean, I think I was born like two or three weeks um before uh Nixon temporarily took the dollar mm-hmm. off the standard, sure. right? Mm-hmm. That's been a pretty long temporary. Um mm-hmm. All right. So what you're sort of talking about there is is really the Fed put that that Greenspan initiated there in the late 90s, uh, and they just keep doubling down on it, right? And and, and, and I want to talk about the Fed um, in a moment because I want to first update everybody on what's going on in the banking system to see if you have any additional um, insights to add to that. But um, uh, a a big question out there that I'm just preparing you, I'm going to ask you is, uh, do you think that Powell there there are folks out there that think that Powell is trying to kill the Fed put this time around. And I'd be curious to see if you if you think that that's his real, true intent here, and then if you do, if you think it's possible he could succeed on that, or is the system just so addicted to it now you just can't kill it without sending the system into cardiac arrest?
0: I think Powell has good intentions. Uh, he was, and if you go back to 2012 in the Fed minutes... Um, he was the one Fed member one of the only Fed members that was arguing against QE and, and talking about the dangers of QE and moral hazards and all of the arguments that I could make today. He was making them then, but he continued to vote for, for the, the QEs. Um, when he became chairman, he tried to pull back and then... We had uh, we had a bit of a crisis again. Uh, rates spiked up, and immediately we were printing again. So there was a quick pivot, and that's what uh, they're always looking for now: are pivots. The uh, difference this time is that we have we we've seen real, not just asset inflation. We saw very high, highest inflation in 40 years, four decades, uh, and that uh, forced him to uh, to move again. Uh, his track record isn't good uh, when it comes to holding uh firm when uh, when there are difficulties and we, we've seen this we saw we've seen there there's always another bailout always more money printing I, I believe he's the one guy that would try but I don't think uh given the system where we are and the amount of debt that we have and uh, when you raise rates like this what it does to uh it blows things up it breaks breaks things uh and uh I don't I don't think that the politicians our government um, most of the Fed members uh, can deal with any kind of pain. We've been putting off that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't allowed the markets to correct, no cleansing of excesses, and so I think they hoped, at least. I know Paul hoped he might be able to get away with this, just as he did earlier. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't hold much hope.
1: Okay, okay. So you're you're sort of in the camp of the folks that say the Fed's going to hike until it breaks something, and we're probably well, yeah. seeing the first of things breaking I think down. We're seeing that, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that that breaking is going to get so bad, it's going to force him at some point to pivot to rescue the system.
0: Yes. Now he'd be slower than anyone else because his intention is to try to break the foot. If he could, uh, he knows that he should. The others don't even know that he knows. Uh, he has an understanding of the problems, the long-term problems that uh, that, uh, that the Fed has created and will continue to create. Um, so. So I wouldn't count on it happening right away. That's the one thing. It's uh, it's uh, he'll probably drag his feet until there's uh, until he has no choice.
1: Okay. So um, again, sort of uh, putting words in your mouth here. Uh, it's he he warned us about pain. <laughs> hey, there's going to be pain coming. I think he hoped, hey, we'll we'll get through the pain and then there'll be better days tomorrow. I, it sounds like you're saying he's gonna he's gonna withstand a fair amount of pain, but at some point it's going to get so great that he's just going to have to capitulate.
0: And we'll be heading into an election year too. that That'll make
1: things harder. There'll just be massive political pressure on him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Well, real quick, let's just update folks uh, on the banking system situation here, which is totally fluid and may be out of date by the time this interview launches tomorrow. (laughs) Um, But the the latest developments over the weekend were that um, Credit Suisse, which was basically one of the world's biggest zombie banks out there. It's been on life support for a long time. Ah, uh, finally uh, keeled over more or less uh, as as a part of the ripple effects of, of what's been going on in the banking system. And the Swiss government uh, and Swiss National Bank engineered basically a bailout, uh, a, a forced shotgun marriage uh, between um, Credit Suisse UBS. and UBS, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know that was done. I think. To to show people, hey, we're just not gonna, we're not gonna have a lehman moment. We're not gonna let this bank fail and have all that contagion ripple across the global banking system. Um, what was, you know, I say TBD. we're gonna find out if they did a good job on that or not. But one interesting element about that is um, let's see, so the terms were UBS got to acquire credit suisse for a little over 3 billion. Um, interestingly, the bank was, you know, valued at about seven or eight billion, you know, on mm-hmm. Friday. Right. Um, the Swiss government is guaranteeing UBS uh, $10 billion worth on uh, Credit Suisse's assets. So if those mm-hmm. assets start going back, the government will backstop UBS. Mm-hmm. Totally understand why UBS would ask for that in a deal like this. Uh, the Swiss National Bank is giving uh, UBS a 100 billion, probably even greater than 100 billion liquidity uh, assistance um, just to kind of keep things you know, working smoothly. But the interesting thing was that they decided to stiff some of their bondholders. Um, of others, yeah. The the and you would expect you know bondholders to take a hit in a deal like this, but they they wiped out a sleeve called the AT one uh, sleeve, mm-hmm. which were the contingent convertible mm-hmm. bondholders. Because, and what's notable lost. about this is not that they got that they had to take losses, it's that that they actually help they they they, they let the equity holders retain a fair amount of value. I mean, not not a ton, but about you know a little less than fifty percent uh, of their equity. and that's that's really breaking the agreement generally with creditors. They're pretty much always senior to equity holders here. So there's a little bit of a scandal going on right here and and maybe this is just what they needed to do to get the deal done. Um, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on the whole UBS Credit Suisse uh, solu- solution here.
0: Well, as you said, it's uh, so I've never never heard of that happening. Yeah, equity, but that those those were the terms uh, uh, that, that that there were um, those those ones were going to get wiped out first. That they should have known that if they read the they read the details, they were going to get wiped out. Um, and um, you know that the fact that there is the equity holders are still got something. I think that's just the way they cut the deal at the end of the day because they had no other choice. Um, Uh, You know, I I don't know. I know that what I do know is that is that there's a lot of. uh, We don't know where all the bodies are buried yet. They're starting to float to the top. Um, uh, We this this wasn't the first bank to go. We've had three others. Um, We had the, the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, which had its own problems. um they had lent a lot of money to uh, a lot of bad loans and uh, got hit with deposit runs
1: uh, a terrible and lost risk management money on
0: treasury bonds. what's that?
1: they had terrible risk management on top of they're, that
0: they're absolutely terrible risk management. um you know they had, but you know we had you know, this goes into my tech area here. it was when you printed that kind of money that you did, you know five trillion dollars during the covid crisis, um it created insane. Um, malinvestment, yep. uh, you know, we have flying car, all kinds of flying car companies and human, you know, uh, human uh, space travel companies. And one company was going to bring back the woolly mammoth. It was out of control. Like I thought I'd never see again when I saw it in 2000, only this was worse. So, um, you know, we had gone to records of uh, venture capital money that would been had been infused into the system. And then they doubled it in 2021 same thing uh same thing with uh with IPOs uh, it just it was out of control you know 22,000 cryptos so silicon valley bank was was involved in a lot of that stuff and there were, there were big losses there and but they're not alone i mean these lot there are losses out there because because everything was so crazy we had what some people call an everything bubble so we had we had we had these huge bond um Valuations with rates at you know never seen before levels, and so a lot of I mean we don't know how, what the size of losses are on, on on pension funds, insurance companies that had trouble in two thousand eight. Um, you know we 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 know the we know commercial real estate is a big problem right now. Uh, what what floats to this to the top next? I don't know, but I know it's there. All, all, yeah. all when you. When you have the losses that were uh, it, uh, that that were um, taken last year, and in many cases they were just not recognized. You know they don't have to mark their portfolios, uh, right. and you know that's the case in with private equity, and 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 they're not they're not they haven't. You know we just saw uh, we just saw one fund cut their uh, venture. Uh, estimates uh, had lost, you know, sixty percent of their money, and and, and uh, on the stock side of it, and then it cut it by like thirty-three percent this week or so. But it wasn't anywhere near what they needed to cut. What they really need to recognize. So all these losses that are still out there that can that can uh, create problems. I don't think the big banks. Uh, I think Credit Suisse was special because I don't I don't think Europe had corrected uh, made the corrections that we did. In 2000 right. 2009, I don't think our biggest banks, our J.P. Morgans and those kinds of companies, are in trouble at all. But uh, all all over the place, uh, obviously the regional banks, uh, you know, Federal or uh, Republic, there is still losing and is still dropping. Last I saw, it was down 20% more today, and there's a lot of others that are there. Um, so it's hard to know. We no one could have predicted. No one did. Um, that silicon valley bank was going to go and then that credit sweeps were going to go but well, i just know that the losses are out there
1: got it so listening to you fred is is it sort of fair to say that after you know a prolonged period of um having interest rates at the lowest as some people have said like in recorded history 5,000
0: years right <laughs> <Fred, laughs> yeah. that,
1: yeah. that 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 went and and of course that cheap money and mm-hmm. cheap credit um you know basically flooded Liquidity in the world encouraged rampant speculation, led to all this ma- malinvestment you talked about, therefore creating what you said many people call the everything bubble. Is it just sort of stand to reason then w- w- once that era has ended and rates start rising, especially as quickly in, 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 as they have so far, y- you just mathematically should expect the everything bust?
0: And that's what that's what I think is the super bubble bust, right? It's uh, This is special and it's big. Uh... I knew it was coming. It just—it's just, hard to predict the timing of such things. But there wasn't any doubt in my mind. Just as it wasn't any doubt that I knew there was a housing bubble. I knew that. I knew that the banks were in trouble in 2008. I was short those. I knew that. I knew the tech bubble was a disaster in 2000. I was short, you know, some puts that. So this isn't anything different. It was all—you can see it if you—if you—you know—if your eyes are open, uh, you can see it if you understand the markets. Um, difficulty is timing it always.
1: Yeah. Um, although, is it fair to say that that the you know you don't know when it's going to happen, but is it is is it fair to say that that the opening kickoff is now behind us? The game is oh, in play. That's the
0: question. I mean, we, we we had huge losses last year. Like I said, it was the worst bond market decline in history last year, and then you know stock market was hit pretty hard too. Just not as hard as it will be by the time the bear market ends. But that that, that all peaked, uh, you know, um, in in some of the mean stuff um you know Kathy Ark, Kathy Woods uh, arc that, that peaked in 2021 in February some of the craziest stuff then and then the, then the market as often happens the market itself didn't, didn't really start down until the end of the uh, end of 20 uh uh 2021 into 2022 mm-hmm. so this has been going on for a while now and it's continuing and these things take time
1: well, and and to use my game analogy here, um, and I know you're, I'm asking you to speculate here a bit, but like, have we passed halftime yet? Or do you think we're still in the first half?
0: Well, it's hard to say. I do know that, as I said, the biggest declines come at the end when there's capitulation. Right. I know that. We're nowhere near that. Um, usually, you get change of leadership. We've not seen that. You know, We haven't seen the big declines yet. Valuations aren't anywhere near where they should be. Uh, I'd say we're probably halftime maybe with a, a lot of pain to come.
1: Okay. Okay, but but sort of the worst of the trying think of the analogy here. The the, op, the opposing team is going to score more points in the second half against us.
0: Yes, it's it's okay. it's going to get rough.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, look. Uh, let's use this as a transition to just sort of your general macro outlook here. So you started saying you see us heading towards recession, right? So as you look out, you know, across the rest of this year, maybe heading into twenty twenty four. Uh, you know, we we had some debate uh, last year as to whether we were in a recession or not, and what the technical definition of recession was. And if you look at the GDP numbers for Q3 and Q4, they were pretty good. Uh, I haven't looked at it today, but the last time I looked at the Fed's GDP now for Q1, I think it was still above 2%. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have data and we can argue that it's lagging and maybe even monkeyed a bit but if you look at you know jobs data um you know people will say hey the economy still looks pretty robust right if you look at retail sales you know if you if you squint and don't dig too much you know they they looked okay in the last report um when do you think we're going to not be debating it anymore? When we're just going to be like, okay, we're clearly in recession now. Is that is that happening this year, or is that a twenty twenty four type of thing? Given your forecast.
0: Well, we've seen all the early signs. Uh, real estate usually blows first. It did, um, and uh, housing market, I should say, housing market has is, is, uh, has has rolled over badly. Uh, unaffordability is is very high, and uh, rates jumped up, and and uh, prices are too high. So. Everything's kind of killing over there. You had, had a badly inverted yield curve. That usually happens. Um, now you have you have tightening of money, uh, but you're right. Uh, well, the other thing too is you know employment lags. It always does. You yep. you you'll, you you you'll see that at the end um, when things get. Uh, that's when all the layoffs occur. People, hold, especially now with the shortage of workers that we've had, people are holding on to workers longer. So that that's difficult to see. Retail sales were poor at, at Christmas time. They bounced in January, probably because of the weather, and then uh, you know warmest weather we've warmest January in I don't know how many years. Uh, and then and then February numbers were not good again. So retail sales have been generally weak. Um, Best Buy reported. They're again, from my technology angle, uh, Best Buy reported a couple of weeks ago, and they can forecast continued problems into the consumer, U.S. consumer, and so did Walmart and, and most of the major retailers. Home Depot,
1: and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 they're all
0: they're all they're all warning. Um, one of what we have not seen is uh, so much is uh, enterprise spending dropping, and, and um, again, we had a major earnings report. Uh two weeks ago from Dell Computer. People don't spend a lot of time with Dell. Uh it's not as flashy, as exciting as the Fang stocks, not one of the FANG stocks, but it's a huge company. Uh it's a hundred billion dollars in revenues. It's twice the size of IBM. It's twice the size of, well, it's 40, 40% bigger than IBM. Uh it's twice the size of Cisco. There just isn't anybody comparable out there uh, in terms of computer hardware. And th- it's their focus is not consumer PCs, it's uh, it's corporate, it's a business enterprise. So the number one in computer service, the number one in storage, all these areas are number one, and they're, they gain market share and they continue to gain market share. Well, what did they say? They said that they saw that the customers were scrutinizing every dollar, every budget dollar. They saw elevated inventories. Uh, they forecast continual declines in, in, uh, in the infrastructure area. Uh, storage, which had been strong, uh, weekend in the fourth quarter. Now, the fourth quarter, well, the quarter that they just reported was a January quarter, so it's uh, it's the latest data that we're getting. Uh, there'll be companies that will report uh, first quarter numbers, and, and it'll include January in here. Um, across the board, broad caution uh, in the IT spending environment. Uh the only areas they had seen that were still holding up were financial services, construction, and real estate. Now those aren't going to hold up either. <laughs> uh, now we know what's going on. Uh, remember, this is all before the banking crisis occurred. That occurred, this happened just prior to their report was just prior to uh, the Silicon Valley and Silvergate problems, and now credit suites and others. So um, we're so now we're starting to see it. Uh, the industrial production numbers were weak. Um, a lot of the capacity utilization was slipping. Uh, so it's starting to get into the broader economy. Some of the semiconductor companies I, I monitor seeing weakness in, in industrial as well. So it, it's happening. It's happening. It doesn't happen overnight. Again, it takes time. Um, but those, those Dell numbers are really important. And, and they're, they're forecasting much worse numbers than the, the quarter they just reported going forward. Uh, so they've seen big declines in PCs, but now they're seeing it in the infrastructure. Uh, they were talking about being uh, infrastructure business being down 15% year over year. Pretty bad. And that's like I said, huge company, nobody bigger in the, in the tech world.
1: Wow. Well, in that, the that,
0: hardware that's, area.
1: That is great intelligence. Um, and let, let me just bring it up to a higher level of, of, of tech mm-hmm. because you published the high tech strategist newsletter. Technology is a sector that you've been an expert in for a very, very long time. Um, you mentioned that Dell is not one of the FANG stocks, um, mm-hmm. but. You know those big tech stocks have largely been, you know, the the ballast keeping the I- indices from rolling over. And, and and last year, you know, it took a while for the indices to to move down. And you know, we we got briefly to bear market territory in, in them. Um, but uh, you know, if you if you looked at the say the Nasdaq, um, and you looked at the, the how far the Nasdaq was down. And then you looked at how far down the average stock in the NASDAQ was, massive difference. And it's because these really big tech companies that are a huge part of the SP as well, you know, were, were they're, they're such big behemoths and, and they weren't suffering as much as the rest of the guys. So they made the indice, the index look better than the average stock and it was performing. Um what, what is your general, outlo- uh, general outlook for tech here? Um, will we see a rotation at some point out of tech into sort of safer plays as, as what you expect to see happen progresses? Or are they so big and well-positioned that they're going to be the leaders going forward no matter what happens?
0: Right. Uh, well, um, in um, so the NASDAQ fell 33% last year, but then it bounced 15% here or so. Uh, this year in that bear market rally, and and because it was a bear market rally, the leaders, the old leaders, continued to be the leaders again. They went right back to their favorite stocks, um, and the valuations are extreme. Uh, you know, Apple's two and a half trillion dollars market cap, uh, twenty six P/E at this point. Um, you know, if you go back in uh, after the two thousand and nine uh, timeframe. Um, that bear market, Apple's P-E ratio ranged from 10 to 14 for several years and didn't get above 20 until uh, 2017. Um, There's just no precedence for uh, for Apple to be selling at 26 times no growth earnings. Earnings are expected to be down 6% in Q1 and also down for the year. Uh, and they're in their third year of their uh, upgrade cycle which is not a good time for them to be in. it's not a high growth time frame um so so you can't justify that you can't justify Microsoft's 30 PE that's another one if you go back into that 2010 uh, time frame it took several years for for it to uh, to ever get back to, to a 20PE I also want to go back to um, 2000. Uh, people thought that those major stocks were invincible then too, and I've seen it every time. We I mean, go back to 1990, which is uh, uh, Compaq, uh, Oracle, Microsoft. Uh, those companies were the leaders then, and they held up too until the last three months of 1990, and then they fell 40 to 60 percent. That's the capitulation phase. They were the favorites then as well. We saw the same thing in in, in 2000. Uh, they held up. Um, but then collapsed. And you know I look back in those top 10 stocks, uh, Microsoft, Cisco, Intel, Nokia, Nortel, IBM, EMC, Sun Microsystems, the best one fell 60%, and that was Microsoft. Uh, it took Microsoft, Microsoft's the only one of those names that ever got back its valuation level. The only one. Sun Microsystems and AMC dropped ninety six percent. They're part of other companies now. Um, you know, Cisco's down today sixty five percent. That was the dominant company. They thought that was, that was your that was your your yeah. Apple. That was your Microsoft of the day. Uh, had the second highest market cap. Um, set sixty five percent down. Uh, Intel down seventy five percent. It was the dominant semiconductor company at uh, at the time. It was nobody close to them. Um, Nokia down ninety two percent. That that's what happens in super bubbles. Okay, we're not we're not there yet. We're talking we're talking valuations that are, are extreme for these companies. Um, yeah, you know, Amazon's still seventy times estimated earnings. Um, Nvidia is one hundred and ten times. It's twenty two times sales. These these things you don't even see in most bubbles, and yet that's where we are right now. But the earnings are falling. Nvidia's earnings were down thirty three percent non GAAP, down fifty percent GAAP. Now they have a lot of AI hype here, but their main business is not, The main businesses aren't doing so well. And with a recession ahead here, things are going to be bad. As I mentioned, Dell said that things are turning down. Well, it's gonna turn down for Microsoft. You're not selling computer servers. You're not gonna be selling computer software. Um, They go hand in hand. So um, the other part is that some of these companies, the data cloud, the cloud companies, the storage companies, Um, like Amazon and Microsoft, well, they're dependent upon the crypto companies and all of the flying car companies and all the other stuff. And as with with lending tightening and the economy going to recession, those businesses uh, will go away in many cases and others will have to cut back as we're seeing them do it. So uh, we're in a downturn, yet the valuations don't show it, but that happens every single time. throughout All the tech cycles that I've had that I've ever been through. 2008, same thing. Amazon was a favorite at that time. It fell 60% in the last three, three, four months. Finally, that was, but that was 2008, it was the end of the bear market. So they hold on to these things, their favorites, the ones they love the most, until they capitulate and then panic and and you get these great declines. And I expect you'll see that again, unless the Fed steps in again with massive money printing.
1: Okay, all right. So you answered my follow-up question, which is, so do you expect the cycle to continue from here? And it basically said yes, Unless there's something unnatural that the mm-hmm. central banks step into do. Um, all right. Uh, let's see here. So many questions for you. I'm just trying to pack into the remaining time we have. Um, so on the on the inflation side of things, right? I mean, that's what's different this time round for the central banks. Right, is they're they're yeah. much more limited in what they can do because their primary goal right now is to get inflation under control, and it's proving stubborn. Right, six percent last official CPI. Um, mm-hmm. Do you expect that to be brought under control? Because everything you're talking about here is is contractionary from an economic standpoint. So, do you do you sort of expect inflation to kind of resolve itself as we go through this process into recession, and then a big capitulation? Um, or do you do you have a different outlook?
0: Well, inflation is starting to come down and that would be expected uh, part of its base effect. Um, part of it was energy prices uh, coming down a lot. Um, other, you, you know, uh, other you know other copper, those kinds of things you don't need as much housing as uh, lumber prices. Uh, so we've seen a lot of uh, the commodities decline in price. All that's to be expected. but, you have other issues that are that are pushing up inflation. You have a wage price uh thing going on here where we have we don't have enough workers. Um the Jolts report show, still shows 10.5 million job openings, and we have 1.9 more job openings than we have, than we have workers, available workers unemployed. Um we have wage pressure. You, I don't know if you saw, but Delta. You know, it had a contract, uh, wage contract negotiation, 34% increase. Mm-hmm. And Americans said they'd match it. And then American pilots still going on strike, supposedly, because that's not enough. Um, you know, you had increases. Labor had been left behind for a long time, but now they're more in the driver's seat. And uh, with the shortages of people, we have shortages of accountants, we have shortages of healthcare people. In New Hampshire, the hospitals all got together and said, "Warned, we don't have enough people at all levels. And so expect long waits now to get healthcare. Uh, you know retail, you go on and on and on. There's, they're, 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 they're labor has, uh, labor has an advantage right now and we're seeing it in higher wages. So and that leads when you have higher wages, corporations have to uh, increase their prices and some of them weren't able to get all the price increases they needed last year. so they're still raising prices. So you've unleashed that, and that's kind of structural. You have you have uh, we've lost a lot of workers, retirees, baby boomers like myself have retired. Uh, you've lost them to well, some some cases that there's disincentives for some people to work. The, the COVID was a problem. Daycare is a problem. Uh, for all these reasons, we don't have uh, we don't have workers, and then we're also globalization reversing. We had all the positive effects from globalization, which reduced prices. And now we're going to try to reshore. And when you do that, it's higher costs. Uh, So the positive things that have kept inflation in in check for all those decades, really, uh, a lot of those 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 key uh, key drivers are now reversing. So I I think you'll see a decline in inflation. And what you might see is what we saw in the 1970s, which was up and down, up and down, and then always a little bit higher. If the Fed. uh, doesn't uh, you know if if Paul doesn't pivot and if he does, I assume you
1: say is. that we'll see substantially higher inflation result from We that? could,
0: I think, we could see substantially higher inflation because of the way we have you know we created incredible amounts of money supply growth during these uh, during the COVID period. You know, forty percent growth in two years. Uh, some of that money's still floating around. Um, if we put more in, if we continue to do that, then I think we will, because we don't have the benefit of globalization keeping prices down. We don't yeah. have we don't have the, the the amount of labor that we once had, uh, and, and so um, these these pressures are, are going to be. It's sort of like '70s '70s stuff. And then I also think energy prices are going to reverse and again and rally again. Um, you know, I was in energy stocks uh, in uh, not I reduced them this year or last year. I reduced them. And it was a good move. But um, I had a substantial energy position for a couple of years because I know ultimately we're going to have shortages Uh, again. um, ConocoPhillips CEO said we're going back to the 1970s and 80s. um, uh, Pioneer Pioneer, uh, Natural said that uh, we'll never see the production levels that we've reached uh, before, which is like 13 million uh, barrels a day. and that's because of ESG, because of the Biden administration's uh, disdain for uh, for the group. Uh, uh, you know, the Permian wells uh, uh, have, are seeing great production declines right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we brought down the strategic petroleum reserve from 650 million barrels to 370 million barrels, and that helped take the price down. But that was a one-time shot. And you know, we're going. We've seen demand destruction, and that's also helped. And the weather helped um and especially in europe uh, but longer term these pressures these energy prices i think are going to higher again and that that will reverse the benefits that we've seen to uh to inflation here recently
1: got it um fred I, i'm making a note here i've got to have you back on again to dive more deeply into energy stocks um or just the energy situation um i agree with everything you're saying we've had uh, experts on this channel um, as, as recently as just this past weekend with our, our conference talking about um, exactly the issues you just mentioned, but also the fact that we've been underinvesting in capital investment in energy for a good long time in, prior to the current administration and whatnot. So yes, there are some decisions we're making in the near term here that are, are disincenting the industry to invest going forward, but, but we've done stuff five, 10, 15 years ago that we're going to be paying for going forward as well. And uh, mm-hmm. you're nodding as I'm saying all this. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a really interesting story to, to, to tell there. Um, we don't have time to do it justice here. So mm-hmm. <laughs> on, but I do want to flag no, it. It's just that
0: it's just you mentioned inflation. It's an important fit, part of it.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. OK, so you sort of see this path of, of I'm going to call sort of secularly uh, Stubborn inflation pressure upward pressures that we haven't had before, where the CPI bottoms out at, who knows? But let me let me make this statement, you can correct it. We're probably not going back to you know a a multi decade average ahead of us that's two percent or less, like we've been doing. I
0: wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that, I wouldn't expect that to happen. No, okay, we'll have declines and we'll have declines related to this, uh, related to this recession that that are causing, um, you know, um. Demand destruction, uh, but but the, but it won't go. I don't think it'll go below two percent because of all the other pressures that are out there.
1: Okay, um, there are two questions that I, I wanted to dig into you with you. Um, I, I in, in the interest of time and getting to another rich vein, um, I'll just say, look, if there's anything that you want to say about either the scope of layoff risks, um, the risk of layoffs in this coming recession that you see ahead of us. Um, and also thoughts on the housing market. And, and mostly I ask those, uh, lumping those two together, because uh, I'm really more interested in your sense of what the living experience is going to be for the folks watching this video going into this recession that you see ahead. You know, is it going to be a, oh, it's not so bad. We'll just kind of muddle through it. Is it going to be a, like, a, oh, it's a quick recession that we almost didn't even realize happened like we saw in 2020? Or is this going to be more like a grinding deep, hey, you, people around you, may be losing their jobs. Your house might get cut in value by thirty percent, and and it's going to be a long, hard slog. Where do you sort of see that?
0: Yeah, you know, again, it's going kind to of depend upon what the Fed does. Um, but if they if they are slow to move, um, it's going to be rough because we have built up all these excesses over all these years. Um, you need to have cleansing of the system. Uh, of the malinvestments that occurred. And we haven't done it. So you've kind of built up all this, this this inflammatory stuff that just gonna blow up. And so we've seen a lot of layoffs in tech so far, but not in the major part of the economy. And I think they'll come. Uh the only thing that does help is the shortage of workers. So that um uh that will Keep people, keep companies from laying off uh, as many people as they would, but they'll have to. Uh, and we're already seeing that. I mean, Dell, Dell's laying off people as well as a result going forward. In the last conference call here, and a lot of others will. So it'll be a, a, a I assuming there isn't any great fix, save the jump that jump starts everything again. It's going, and if that happens, we're just putting it off for a little bit longer, anyways. So it'll be a, a, another worse decline down the road. Um, but yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be a very difficult period. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be a great depression. We had twenty five percent of the population kind of thing, but it, double digit kind of. You can see double digit um, uh, jobless uh, unemployment rate potentially. Uh, take a long time to get there because we're only at three point six percent right now. Right. But uh, yeah, you could you could see that.
1: Okay, um, and that is sobering. I mean, double digit. Unemployment is something we haven't had to deal with. I mean, we, we we had a brief massive loss of jobs in the pandemic, but it got mm-hmm. it got addressed immediately. And but I, notice I, it got
0: addressed immediately, and that was the, the, the thing that, uh, that that turned it around. Otherwise,
1: right. Otherwise I mean, it would have
0: COVID obviously resolved itself, but each time, you know, in 2008, same thing. Yep, yeah. uh, banks, the banks would have gone under.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, and I mean, I, and the, one of the reasons why I mentioned this is, is, um, you know, having lived through 2008, you know, it was just like month after month after month of hundreds of thousands of jobs being lost every single month. Yeah. And I'm just not sure with what everyone's reading with, oh, don't worry, jobs are fine. You know, they're just not ready for that type of potentiality.
0: Mm-hmm. No, uh, I'm sure not when they're talking about no landing and <laughs> a week ago, no landing right. and soft landings. No.
1: All right. Um, So I'm getting to a very particular question um, right before I get there. So. Intuiting from everything you've said so far, Fred, I I get the impression that you think that uh, we could easily have back to back disappointing years in the markets. Right. A lot of people like to point to, oh, well, when a market's down by 20 percent one year, history says that the likelihood of us having a positive year the next year is X percent or whatever. Right. Sure. but I I think you're skeptical of that saying given the realities on the ground uh there's not a great optim, not a great argument to get real you know along the market here
0: no no as I said the valuations are terrible and we're heading towards a recession and as you pointed out we're not quite there yet there are a lot of mixed signals but the things are turning down and about you just you you know I've never uh, all the bear markets I've seen they they uh uh They all, on average, they take a couple of years anyways. And uh, so that argument, you don't have two years in a row, that's craziness. Um, Especially with the valuations that you have here, they're just not going to be sustained. Uh, And uh, I expect, what I'm thinking is, we'll have a really bad September and October because that's when it always seems to hit the fan. And then we'll have a buildup to that. Uh, I think that um, um, the bear market rally that we had ended and we're now in another downturn. We could have another rally after that. But some some point, September, October, it's you know, things will really have deteriorated. And you, like you said, you know, you start to see big job numbers, you know, 600, 000 layoffs and th- those kinds of things. You could start to see that. But it might also, this also could extend even into 2024, potentially. Um, it's so big. Um, the excesses that have to be corrected. And um now it's hard to know for sure, but I but I'm I'm fairly certain
1: that 2023 is gonna be a bad year. Okay. Um, All right, well, look, so of course, the whole purpose of this channel is uh, to help the regular investor look through the eyes of seasoned experts such as yourself, become better informed, and then hopefully use that information to take more prudent and more informed action to protect, preserve, and and hopefully at some point, grow their wealth. I want, to, I want to read uh, a comment that you made on Twitter the other day and then give you a chance to um, elaborate on it. The Fed's in quite a pickle. More tightening to fight inflation ensures more credit events stop and inflation could surge even further. Meanwhile, there's still that bloated 8.3 trillion balance sheet. One day they may learn not to mess with free market forces. Got gold? Yeah. So it seems from a lot of your your writings, and even though you're the high tech guy, um, you decidedly, oftentimes it seems, come back to a, a decidedly non tech asset as a good thing to be holding given this current macro environment. So can you explain, uh, you know, your um, uh, your recommendations for gold in this macro environment?
0: Gold does poorly. It does poorly in times of joy. Um, So when you're having big bull markets like the 1980s, 2000, that double time, gold was in a bear market. Prior to that, 1970s, you had a great gold bull market. Uh, And and that was a terrible, terrible period for the economy and also the stock markets with major declines there. Uh, Stocks didn't go anywhere but lost money in real real terms. in 2000, we had the bubble break, and uh, and I knew tech was done, that when you have a big bubble like that, you're going into a, a, a secular decline. And that's when I started getting interested in gold then. I, I assumed that the central banks would kind of do what they were doing, which was always bailing things out. And I never imagined we'd get to this level. But, but that was a good choice to uh, make my early first purchases in mining stocks in 2002, um, uh, because they went on a terrific run. They went up seventeen hundred, well, sixteen hundred percent, seventeen times in the two thousand to two thousand eleven time frame. And gold went up every year during that time, for a decade, because things were bad and people wanted a uh, store of values and uh, safety. Um, and then, uh, with all the money printing that happened, the stock markets went up. Nasdaq went up every year from two thousand nine on, and, and gold went into uh, a correction, a major correction period. And here we are again now, um, we are, we bottomed, I think in 2000, at the end of 2015 with gold uh, at 1050. Uh, and we're going to, we seem to be going to ever higher lows uh, with each, each downturn that we have. And that's because there's been enormous amounts of buying overseas uh, from the East. Um, the uh, central banks bought a record amount of tonnage last year. Uh, 1,136 tons. Uh, a lot of that has to do with um, governments wanting to get away from the U.S. dollar. The Chinese have reduced their uh, treasuries from 1.3 trillion to 800 and something, the so lowest since 2010. Uh, the weaponization of the dollar has caused a lot of countries now to be buying gold. Mm-hmm. Um, China itself imported 1,343 tons uh, last year, up 64%. India... Uh, Egypt, uh, you know, Bank of Singapore bought 45 tons in January. There's this huge mine that's going on. Um, uh, so China imported all that gold last year, but that was during an economic downturn when they were closed. And, and now they're open. And we're seeing, you know, in February their 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 imports, uh, those through the Shanghai Gold Exchange, 169 tons in one month. It's up 84% from where they were in 2022 in that month in 2021, so there's enormous demand that's coming in from overseas for gold because they see the situation. We may see us, uh, you know, we're not going to have a hard landing. We're not going to have uh, it'll be a soft landing. Uh, you know, everything's fine. Stock market won't go down two years or All that stuff. That's not how they see it. They see big troubles here in the West. Massive debts, deficits, 31.5 trillion dollars, and not not a lot of fiscal uh, responsibility show and so they're preparing and they're buying they're buying gold and the western investors have not so uh they say that they say the uh, the east the Asians will set will set the floors for gold and we've seen that floor rise so it was 1050 then it was uh it went up to 1180 in 2018 then it jumped up to 1610 last year that was the bottom this year it looks like the bottom was $200 higher 1810 Last night we went to two thousand dollars. Yet we went to two thousand dollars, but the, the the Western investors don't have any positions right now, so they've taken their positions down to points where you usually get big rallies. Uh, silver went negative in the COT report for managed money. Um, the speculators, the hedge funds, and CTAs, and gold was only down to, was down to fourteen thousand net net long contracts. These are bottom levels. Open interest. Uh, for the futures traders was only 423,000 at the beginning of this, in fe- end of February. Um, these are all signs that you're going to have another rally from the low, the bottom, the floor that was set by uh, by uh, the agents and uh, others that have been buying. And so it's kind of a perfect scenario where you have inflation, you have Loss of confidence around the world. The central banks are buying. Overseas buyers are buying. The Western institutions don't have any positions. They took their ETF. The GLD is the largest ETF, and they took their positions down by 200 tons in this latest downturn, and they only added 20 back in this latest rally. Mm. Um, so, and they're going to have to increase positions. They used to have larger positions. Uh, you know, maybe up to five percent of their of, of their portfolios were in gold and now it's a fraction of one percent. You raise that to a one or two, three percent and, and see what happens to gold when there doesn't seem to be a lot of gold around or even silver. Um, technically, uh, gold's tremendously oversold uh, in this latest downturn that seems to have ended for sure. Um, longer term, there's this giant cup and handle for over a decade that uh, the gold people talk about. that is like a perfect uh, indicator for uh, for a blast off of the price of gold. Uh, we're also heading into the eight-year cycle, the better part of the eight-year cycle for gold. Uh, people like my friend Felix Zuloff and many others look at that very closely, and there is that pattern. So next year and maybe even early this year, uh, we're heading into the best three to four years for gold. So everything seems to be coming together. Uh, even last year, when, when rates were, were were up and the dollar was soaring, uh, gold held its own. It didn't go down. And that was a, a major um, accomplishment for gold, uh, uh, given the lack of interest in the U.S. But it was because of all those Asian buyers and uh, others that have been buying gold. So um, in an inflationary environment, with all these debts, with a recession, the gold does well during recessions, these are perfect times um, for or a big rally in gold uh, that might be at the level that you saw, we saw in uh, in the nineteen seventies, where it went up from hundred to eight fifty, or uh, in the nineteen in the two thousand timeframe, when it went from two hundred and fifty to uh, uh, to nineteen hundred. So it could be many multiples of where we were from the bottom.
1: Okay, uh, that's what I was going to ask. So, what would the modern equivalent of that be? Would that be sort of at the Five thousand ish, or higher, or higher? You know, higher, maybe eight.
0: Yeah, you know, given all the money that's been printed, yes.
1: Wow, could and, be. And, and, and
0: some people have a lot higher numbers. I don't like to throw those big numbers out. I'm just telling you, it's a perfect setup right now.
1: Okay, and and if we if we were sort of talking about the five to eight thousand range here, what's a I'm not saying you're calling exactly for this, but what's a credible time frame you think that could be reached over? I'm just trying to get a sense. Is it like in the next year, or is that sort of like a four-year type of, of journey?
0: Yeah, it's probably uh, three years, maybe. You know, that's sure. when we talk about that that, that eight-year cycle. The, the best, the big years are the three years, uh, the first three years of the eight-year gold cycle. Um, so I would say three years uh, would be, and then you. You know what you end up with that is a bubble at the end of it, which right. you know you you,
1: sell you yeah. exactly have.
0: And that and that a lot of the a lot of it comes at the end and then the last of it, the last of it. Just like you get capitulations at the end, you get you get spikes at the end of, of big bull markets as well. So yeah, that's what I would think. Uh but boy, we're in a good we're in a really good position right now with everything that's going on in the world.
1: Okay. So um you had an, another comment you put out on Twitter uh where basically you just said, "Welcome to day one of the gold and silver mining rally." You give your reasons for why you think that 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 should happen. They're largely um, commensurate with what you've already said here. Uh, but you said a big part of this is just going to be you know continued heavy buying uh, from overseas as they continue to understand what a financial mess the West is in. Um, so in terms of the miners, which are obviously the the leveraged way to play. Uh, the prices of the metals. Um, I mean, you talked about the metals potentially going up several multiples in a relatively short period of time. I'm intuiting that you think that the miners could then have a massive run. Uh, you know, like you've said, they've had earlier before when you first started getting into them at the beginning of the millennium. Um, you're nodding as I'm saying this. Uh, so I, I guess one of the questions I want to ask you is like, is this the back up the truck moment for the miners, or is is this more sort of a you know, begin to dip your toe in if you're not one yet, but it's not the time to go hog wild just yet.
0: I think it's uh, back your truck up time. Um, And and here's why. Um, So the miners have been depressed oversold. Uh, They're not purchased by overseas investors. Overseas investors in China and India and Turkey and all those places buy gold. They don't buy, they don't buy uh, Barrett gold. They don't buy new um, that's the purview of U.S. investors and uh, and Canadian investors. Uh, they're the ones that are primarily buyers of those. So while we had this big move up in gold from the 1610 level, now the 1810 level, all the way up, miners haven't really performed. And one of the reasons is last quarter, if you look at the numbers from last quarter, the average uh, realized gold price was $1,730. For the gold miners, the all-in sustaining cost that includes you know almost all the costs, uh, including the cost to to, uh, to reverse depletion, um, to refill reserves, the all-in sustaining cost have gone up with inflation because energy costs were up and costs for you know grinding materials and cyanide and all these different types of things costs are up fourteen percent and the average. All in sustaining cost in the fourth quarter was uh, $1,231. Well, $1,231 in 1731, that gets you $500 margins, right? Right now, we're at $1,980 to 90 That $1,980 to $90 minus the $1,230 is $750. So what you've just seen in a matter of weeks, two weeks here, is a 50% increase in margins. Hmm. They've gone from $500 margins to $750 margins. Now we didn't even see $750 margins on average in that 2000 timeframe when when, these miners had gone crazy. So this is gonna be one of the highest. So their numbers don't reflect this yet. They're gonna blow away earnings numbers while the rest of the economy is doing very poorly and, and people are cutting estimates and the tech company earnings continue to fall. Uh, the gold mining stocks' earnings are going to go up. And that's why you, you typically see a three-to-one leverage, gold stocks to, to the gold price. And you look at the what they call the Huey-to-gold ratio, which is the gold stocks, Huey is an index of gold stocks, to gold, it's currently at point, 0.122. In the 2000 timeframe, when during the best of the years in there. That was 0. 0.46 on a, at average, 0. 0.46, four, almost four times the level is today. It went to 0. 0.6 something, right? Five five times. So you can see how depressed they are um, relative to the price of gold. But there was a reason for that because their margins were falling and people didn't like it when their earnings are falling. Some of the companies like Newmont and Barrick were cutting dividends. Well, guess what? Cash flows are going to go up too. And the dividends are going to start rising again as well. So we're right here. It just happened. And the miners are barely up this year. I think the, the juniors are only up 3%, and the, and the, um, the, uh, the GDX uh, major miners are only up 6 or 7% or something like that. And it all had occurred last week because they were down in the year. So we're in, we are on day one here almost. We're week one. We're one week into this. And so far, the prices are only going higher right now. As I said, we hit 2000 tonight. tonight. Uh, we're backing up just a little bit right today, which was to be expected. Uh, but, you know, the technicians are talking about breakouts and all of that kind of thing. Think about what the margins would be and what the cash flows will be and the dividends will be if you're talking about much higher gold prices as I just talked about. Um, it's just enormous. And that's why you get. You know, in the 1970s, the small miners went up 30 times, some of them. The big ones went up 10. Uh, in 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 the 2000 timeframe, like I said, it was a, a 17x uh, increase because the leverage on the bottom lines and on the cash flows and everything else is just fantastic. So if you believe that this is the perfect scenario, and, which I do, uh, and we're on the cusp of something really big right here, then the miners are going to be a great play.
1: All right. Uh, Well, that is fantastic. Um, I'm excited to hear that. Um, But, uh, you know, on this program, Fred, it really is all about helping people build wealth, right? And and to build wealth, first, you got to protect it, and then you have to grow it. And for so much of the past year plus on this channel, you know, we've been talking about all the reasons to be defensive and concerned and whatnot, which, which still exist in spades, but where we can identify potential opportunities uh, of undervaluation in the market where something's going to get repriced to the upside it's great to to be able to highlight those opportunities so thank you for for doing this for our viewers um I want to just note to folks here that you know we just had the wealthy on uh, spring conference this past weekend and Rick rule uh you know famous natural resources investor dialed through a number of his uh stock recommendations in the precious metal space, as well as in several other sectors for natural resource investing. So if you're looking to get some specific uh, stocks to go investigate, um, if you haven't, uh, if, if you didn't attend the conference, uh, it's not too late. You can buy the replay videos for that over at Wealtheon.com slash conference. Um, Fred, in your newsletter, um, do you give recommendations as well for particular mining stocks or do you tend to trade in the uh, the major ETFs for the sector?
0: No, I don't deal with ETFs. I've been because I've been involved with the group now for over two decades. <laughs> I, I do know something about them, I think, and I can do a little bit better than the uh, the, the uh, ETFs themselves. So, and I have. It's been uh, uh, I've done okay. I'm happy with them. Um, so yeah, I, I, I what I tell people is what I own. Um, so I don't recommend any recommendations or suggestions to people in terms of percentages or anything like that. I, this is what I own um, in my circumstance, and you know these. So these are ideas for you if you're interested. And so, yeah, I do. Um, I, I can name them. I can I can give you if you wanted. I could give you my favorite um, major minor, my favorite intermediate minor, and my favorite junior minor. If you want, I don't.
1: Be, don't people would shoot me if I said no. So yes, please. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. So my favorite. Uh, so the big there's big three minors. Uh, and, and one of them is Newmont, one of them is Barrick, one of them is Agnico Eagle. And Newmont and Barrick haven't been able to grow. Uh, the industry isn't really growing very much. Uh, Barrick's numbers last quarter were at a 22-year low for production, or last year. And Newmont's been stuck at six million ounces a year. Agnico is a grower, and they're going to they have they have very good growth prospects. So as a result of that, you get a higher multiple. Um, they also are thought to have the best management team. And their mines are located in the best jurisdictions in the world. They purposely stay out of difficult areas. So you won't find them involved in Russia or South Africa or Venezuela or any places like that. Most of their mines are in Canada. Uh, they, have a, they have a mine in Australia, they have a mine in Finland. But these are all very highly rated jurisdictions. So from a security standpoint, um, something, you know, being able to sleep at night, they're very good. Pays a dividend, has for 30 plus years. It's pretty good dividend, 3.3%. Stock is down because the miners were uh, depressed here recently. Uh, Their costs are going to go down in 2024 and 2025. So not only, and that's because they have higher grade mines coming on. So not only you get the benefit of the uh, higher gold price, but you also have lower costs expected. That's their forecast. So that's my uh, favorite. And uh, it's always good to, to be buying when the CEO is buying as well. He bought, uh, at the end, just a couple of weeks ago, he bought uh, $400,000 worth of his own stock in an open market. So that's also uh, that's also a very good thing. So that's my favorite major. Um, my favorite intermediate is Alamos Gold, AGI. Um, and it, again, the best locations and all of their uh production is North America. Most of it's from Canada. Um, they um, Their costs are declining uh, even more so, and this is very rare to have costs declining in this industry. Their costs are declining. Um, it, they're all in sustaining costs were a little over $1,200 last year. Last quarter, it was less. It was in 1,130 range. They're forecasting $1,000 Uh, By 2025, because of these very high grade, Uh, they have an expansion in Canada at Island Gold is going to double production at these huge grades and low costs. Uh, They also have a higher, higher, lower cost production coming from uh, mine in Mexico. So uh, the valuation is uh, they buy back shares. uh, They uh, don't have any debt at all. As I said, the best locations and they're only a little bit above their net asset value right now, um, wow. very, very cheap, even though it did well last year, but it did well because things were going well for them last year too uh, in a, in that downturn for, for many of them uh, with, with higher costs for most companies. And then, uh, then the final one would be uh, a junior, and I don't think it has any peer among juniors, um, and that's Cisco Mining. And that's uh, that would be OSK on the Toronto Exchange and OBNNF on... Uh, on the New York, and uh, where you traded in New York, um, it's has a mine called Windfall that is thought to be one of the most significant discoveries in the last hundred years. One of the top ones. We haven't had many, and this is one of them. This is a ten million, likely ten million ounce mine, um, all in sustaining cost estimated at seven hundred fifty-eight dollars because the grades are so high on this thing. Uh, they're going to be double digit, you know, ten percent plus grades. I. I think uh, they've had some samples that have come out a lot higher than what their what their feasibility studies have been. Um, they um, um, again, it's in Canada, so it's a great location. Uh, it just it just it, and it's not it's cheap. Uh, one of the reasons why it's down. Uh, recently, it fell was because they had a a bought deal offering that put pressure on the stocks that gives you an opportunity to buy some. Um, also, and uh, but now they don't need money uh, from ec- from an equity offering for a year and a half. There'll be some kind of a deal because they're constructing, they're beginning to to bring this together and they should be producing gold by 2025. So, juniors don't produce, but this is one that will be in the near term, a relative near term. So, it's a uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of these juniors that go up a lot because they're really cheap. I mean, I, I'll give you an example of one, I won't mention the name, but you know, it's it's all in sustaining costs. We're almost equal to that seventeen hundred and thirty um, average realized price. So they're getting no margin. But at at, nine, at two thousand dollars in nineteen, now they have two hundred dollars, and they had nothing before. So you can see the you can see the leverage on that one. But um, these these are all uh, I think the highest quality names. Really good. I don't I don't go out with uh, with the ones that. Um, where there's a a liar standing next to a hole, and and you can get your big bang from those um, uh, penny stocks. There's a million of them. I only stick to the highest quality ones where they have identified a lot of gold, a lot of reserves, and they're solid. Solid management. The other thing about Cisco Mining is that management team also has already had built uh, built the Canadian Mark Mill Arctic Mine, which is one of the most successful mines in Canada. And then they sold it, and they uh, they are doing I think the same thing. I, I don't know if they'll sell it or not. They're, they don't want to sell it cheap. Uh, they've had interest, uh, and they've uh, because of what they have in hand. Um, they think they kind of made a mistake when it was sold. Now owned by Agnico Eagle, uh, fantastic mine, and uh, they built that themselves. And this the same group is building this one as well.
1: Wow, well, Fred, uh, thank you. That was just pure gold. Sorry, pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> but that really was exactly the kind of uh, you know, insider insight in terms of, you know, identifying the wheat from the chaff uh that folks love to see on this channel. So it's, thank you so much for doing that. Um, it's interesting. Uh Wealthy has actually been in touch with the management team at OCisco to see if we can get the CEO to come on this channel and actually tell their story. So it's great mm-hmm. that you you actually picked them out there. Um all right, look, well, Fred, this has been wonderful. You've been extremely generous in your time. We've gone way over the, a lot of time I, I, I said we'd, we'd have for this interview. So thank you for sticking with us here. Um, uh, I'm gonna wrap it up here. I know I'm gonna disappoint a lot of people who would love for us to keep going, but hopefully Fred, we can have you come back on the channel at some point in time, and give us sure. an update on your outlook as we're further mm-hmm. into the year. Um, very importantly though, for folks that have really enjoyed this discussion, uh, maybe the first time they're actually getting to see you speak, um, where can they go to learn more about you and your work?
0: We don't do any advertising, never have. Thankfully, we never had to in the 36 years we've been doing this, never had to advertise. I am on Twitter, so you can kind of read some of the tweets there. Um, and that's at HTSF I think, <laughs> I believe that's the, it, it is that. Uh, and then also, if anybody has any interest, um, we we can send you all the details about the newsletter. If you send us an email, to the high tech strategist at yahoo.com. That's T-H-E-H-I-G-H strategist as it's spelled at yahoo.com. You send that to us, we'll send you the details uh, if you're interested.
1: Great, Fred. And when we edit this uh, video, we will put the URLs up, um, both to your email address and your Twitter account so people know exactly where to go. Um, This has been great folks, as you I'm sure can gather at this point in time. the, the high-tech strategist is one of the most respected financial newsletters out there. You, you now totally understand why, having listened to Fred talk here for the past hour plus. Um, highly recommend, if you're interested uh, in more of what Fred has to say, that you take advantage of him by emailing him and signing up for that newsletter if you can. Um, all right, real quick, as we just wrap up here, a couple quick resources for folks. Just want to remind folks that if you didn't watch our conference from this past weekend, which was amazing. Uh, you can still get access to the replay videos. You can go purchase them over the, over at uh, that wealthyon.com slash conference URL I mentioned earlier. Um, also, you know, Fred painted uh, his outlook for the rest of this year. I think to say that it's going to be challenging uh, is probably quite an understatement. Uh, and this is why we recommend so many people uh, subscribe to expert newsletters like Fred's. But also, um, you know, if you, have a, if you have a real life and you don't have the time to watch the markets the way that an expert like Fred does um, and react uh, to the, the shifting landscape here. That's why we highly recommend most people work with a professional financial advisor who understands the issues that Fred talked about here and takes those into account when helping devise a portfolio strategy for you. Um, beyond just developing a plan, you want somebody who can be your partner and actually you know, executing the, the strategy, especially as it has to react to changing developments on the ground. A lot of what Fred's outlook depends on is what the Fed does next from here. So you need to have somebody who is paying attention and making decisions based on that, not somebody who's just saying, hey, market will always take care of you in the long run and just basically puts you 100% long and doesn't look at it again for the next couple of years. Uh, If you have a good advisor who is playing that role for you, excellent, stick with them. Uh, But if you don't, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, Feel free to uh, schedule a free consultation with the financial advisors that Wealthion endorses. To do that, just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there. Doesn't cost you anything, no commitment to work with these guys. It's just a public service that they offer. Um, Fred, this has just been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Folks, if you'd like to see Fred come back on uh, this channel again at some point in the future, please support us by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Fred, I can't thank you enough for the uh, extremely generous uh, amount of insight you'd share with us today.
0: that has been my pleasure.
1: All right. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching.